The final dump is back and here for the first time, the first live edition of the show. We're talking David Bakhtiari, shareholders meeting, team win totals. It's all coming up on this edition of The Final Dump. And welcome to the first live edition of the final dump on Game On Wisconsin. I am Brendan Dorzinski. I am joined by my partner, as always, Matt Fralick. A year in the podcast space only, and I think it was about time we made our camera debuts. Had to get a little more attractive on camera here at Game On Wisconsin. That's why Matt's here. And we also needed someone who could cut the occasional wrestling promo, which is why I am here. But we are stoked for our first episode of the season. Training camp is firing up in northeastern Wisconsin. Northeastern Wisconsin, just eastern mm-hmm. Wisconsin. You're a local, Matt. I don't know exactly what you guys would call the area. I'm out here in Lawrence, Kansas. You're up there in Wisconsin. But we have so much to get to on the show. We are so excited to be back for another season Feels good to be talking ball again, Matt. It has been a long time. Life has changed a lot since we last spoke. Quite literally, I got married since the last time we had an edition of the final dump. So I'm very excited to be back and very excited for another season talking ball with you. Absolutely. First and foremost, uh, NEW, Northeast Wisconsin. That's what they call it. So when I lived in Green Bay, I moved to Green Bay for school. I would see new this, new that. I'm like, how new is all the this hospital? How new is this park? Now it turns out it's the acronym, Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, secondarily, yeah, life has moved quite a, quite fast. I mean, I'm moving in a couple of days. I'll have a brand new setup uh, as soon as this show's done. Essentially, uh, the next Monday we will have a brand new situation for at least my half of the show. Your half, you've been talking about it. Maybe we'll see. Maybe you'll be on a beach somewhere. Maybe in a stadium. We'll see where you can end up pivoting throughout this uh, this season, Brendan. But ultimately, yeah, life has came out as fast um, from career changes for me as, as well to you now even getting married, which is fantastic. That's been a it just it's been awesome to see as we talked about a little before the show just like this relationship and this friendship of ours just over a year we go from being on the podcast side to getting the call up right kind of from the bullpen like hey we need you guys on the on the video format it's like you, it, exactly bring in the right hook bring in the lefty whatever you got to do um now we're working our way onto the roster we're not a, we're not a starter maybe we're getting a little you know we're like kind of like the fifth guy in the rotation we'll see if we can work our way through maybe come um the all-star break for playoff time so we've got so much to get to. We're, we're going to be working with you here. Again, little little camera debut here, at least for me. Matt may be a little more experienced. I've only been on from time to time. So we'll do our best. You're going to get to grow with us. We're so excited for what's to come throughout training camp and throughout this Green Bay Packers season. We've got a ton to get to today. We're going to talk about that shareholders meeting from Monday. A lot to get to. Some funny quips from Mark Murphy. Some Weird comments that we're covering for some actual news that was revealed throughout the day. We're going to talk about some team win totals as well. Introduce you to our brand new segment, Significant to Some. But we're going to lead things off today with David Bakhtiari. And I think at first when this news came out that David Bakhtiari was going to be on the pup list, I think for a lot of people it was, okay, well, not entirely a surprise. We knew he was still coming back from the ACL tear from a couple of seasons ago. He obviously missed almost all of last season, save for, frankly, just a handful of snaps in the game against Mm -hmm. the Lions. Didn't play in the playoff game against San Francisco. Comes in on the pup. Okay, 
maybe it's just a let's wait and see. Let's see him in practice a couple days. Give him the physical. We'll be good to go from there. But then we get this update on Monday from Diana Russini at ESPN and this tweet from Kyle Malzahn uh, from up in Green Bay talking about how there was actually a legitimate setback for David Bakhtiari. The wording here from Diana Russini, the Packers felt that Bakhtiari was good to go. He was going to start training camp. Then he had a setback during rehab, and that's the reason he went on the pup list. So, Matt, let's just start right there. I mean, on, on one hand, from a human side, you just feel awful for a guy who has dedicated his professional career. And frankly, if you're an NFL player at that caliber, your life to this craft, it is so hard to then have to sit through this and not be able to play, not be out there with your teammates, not be able to practice at full strength. And when you look at it from a football Packers perspective, now you realize, okay, this team where the offensive line has been a strength for years now suddenly has a lot more question marks with both David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins on the pup list to start training camp. It's wild, man. So that pup list came out on Friday afternoon, and I think the big one that caught everyone's attention was Christian Watson. We've come to now find out that wasn't as big of a deal as we thought, which you know is fine. I think it was kind of interesting. I know um, when I did Packaday for Saturday's episode, Janelle actually mentioned, she said, I wonder if that's why it took so long to get the contract done, just because you didn't know what was wrong with Christian Watson. So here nor there, David was not on that list, that short list of nine players, short, I guess, depending on your, your relativity of injured players and their availability. But yeah, finding out that Bakhtiari is on the pup was you know a little disappointing. Now, we did go through the saga last year with him. You mentioned that, that line game, he played 18 snaps. Um, you know, before those games, before that final game of the season, it was almost seemed like he was absolutely going to play week one week two. He doesn't play. He's out for six weeks. Then he doesn't play the rest of the year. And it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle with the other injuries along the way. Jerry Alexander won a, a notable as one as well. Uh, but you do have to think, I mean, I, I was thinking about a little reflection on Sunday and just, you know, one of those things where it's like, dude, how much longer are we going to see 69 and green and gold? Like how long, how much longer is David going to be on that left side? And, and, trotting out on the field um like that enormous giraffe he is so it, it sucks it's disappointing it happens a ton in sports it, it really sucks when it's a guy that's extremely talented as well um that's been with a packer his entire career so that's the kind of part that it's it's really unfortunate um taking a step back a little bit like you mentioned where does that put elton jenkins in the rotation does he move over to the left side does he get rushed back sooner than you would and want him to i doubt that on the second one, the first one might be a left tackle at some point. Is that in 2022? I doubt the Packers thought they'd have to put him there in 2022, or at least sparingly throughout this year. Um, and then the third thing on more of the silver lining is the Packers have prioritized getting offensive linemen for the last couple of years, whether that be a few years ago and getting a Billy Turner, uh, Rick Wagner, Jared Valdir, actually getting some equity in the draft in these guys. And that's, that's the thing that I, I mean, one of the things that if you've heard me talk about Packers, at all, whether it's on Game on Wisconsin, on Final Down, Pack-A-Day podcast, any any sort of podcast or anything Pack-related where I can ram-jam this situation, it's the fact that the Packers have acquired linemen just over and over and over and over under the Gutekunds and Matt LaFleur regime. And you have to give them kudos to that because it's it, that's how a team is built, and they've been able to, I mean, truly just pivot and have the best five guys available. So that's what they're going to have to do coming around right now. It's kind of good also you're getting this news ahead of time that maybe there was a setback. He's on the pup list now, and they can let these guys in training camp this week um, kind of flourish no matter who that is, whether it's the 
I, there's tons of guys in this roster. Royce Newman's one that I think that could definitely make a next step. Josh Myers come back from injury. So overall, they'll get the best five out there, but it sucks. The thing that one of the best left tackles in the league over the last decade is, um, again, struggling with the injury that he had in December of 2020. And I think, too, one of the things as football fans, we get examples of guys who are able to return quicker than normal. They're ahead of schedule. And suddenly we think, well, why why can't this guy return from schedule? The ultimate example of that is Adrian Peterson, who either because he's not even really human or because he may have taken some supplements that helped him get back. Who knows? I'm not trying to make any allegations. I'm just saying who knows what got him back. He's able to return from that torn ACL, you know, better part of a decade ago. So quickly he comes back. He's the MVP immediately after that. I mean, that is the gold standard of return. And some guys are able to come back in nine months. Some guys, though, it takes longer for them to be back at full strength, even if they can play. I think a great example of that, you go to Denver a year ago, Cortland Sutton, two years back, mm -hmm. he has that bad knee injury. It's a torn ACL and other ligaments. He was back last year, but he wasn't the kind of explosive player that he was prior to the injury. It took him a while. Now, better quarterback, better situation. Maybe he bounces back this season. He's a little further out from that injury. So I think we look at a guy like Bakhtiari and you say, well, you know, he's this big guy at peak of physical shape. We know the Packers doctors take care of guys. Why isn't he back yet? Why does he have another setback this far out from the injury? And, you know, for everybody, it, it, it can be different. We've got someone, uh, Iowa Joe, chiming in on the Game on Wisconsin YouTube mentions, hey, Jordan Nelson came back fairly quickly from that. And I think that's a good example. It's just so hard to know when everybody's body reacts differently from it. So I think sometimes as fans, it's so easy to say, God, why, why isn't he back yet? And I know I want to do that. I want to say, mm -hmm. God, just be back, be able to practice, be able to go out there, do warmups, do something. But it, it's just so impossible to know. And without having, you know, the medical records, and I'm not Adam Schefter, so I don't have that stuff given to me, whether it should be given to me or not. It's impossible to know how he's going to recover. So I'm hoping for the best. I don't know anyone who doesn't love David Bakhtiari, the player and the person. So I'm, I'm just holding my fingers crossed that sometime he's able to get back soon. And I think you make up to Matt in terms of the, the practical, okay, well, what do you do now knowing that he's on the pup list approach to this? The Packers have been so good at coaching up the offensive line. That's why more than anything, I'm just thrilled Adam Stenovich did not leave mm -hmm. this offseason. Nathaniel Hackett, he's gone. Luke Getze, he's gone. But if there was anyone you had to keep, I'm so glad it was Adam Stenovich because the work he has done with this offense and with the offensive line in recent years has just been incredible. Truly, truly incredible work. So I'm glad he's still around. You know the offensive line is going to have that baseline level of competence that even if guys are injured, even if they're not best five so to speak they're going to get five competent guys out there who are going to be able to hold things up and you know you mentioned in the past going out and getting billy turner in free agency last year they made an effort to at least get depth they went after dennis kelly and he strangely became a storyline at the very end of the season instead of maybe earlier in the year like we expected but they went out to try to find depth try to build it up this year i think the really interesting thing to keep an eye on is the rookies. Two rookies yeah. who were taken within the first, I believe it was four rounds of the draft, Sean Ryan and Zach Tom from UCLA and from Wake Forest. I know a lot of draft people really like Sean Ryan, thought he could be a day one starter caliber player, which at the time of the draft, you thought, hey, Packers don't need a day one starter. This is great to get a guy that good who might not have to play full time for 
a year, maybe even more than that. I know a lot of people who like Zach Tom out of Wake Forest, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to my guy Jordan Foote, who's a writer for Sports Illustrated, who thought Zach Tom was was a superstar prospect in this draft, especially where the Packers were able to get him. You may end up in a situation where you've got to rely on some young guys to play now. And we went over this so much last season that the Packers really did a great job of finding guys and developing guys who can play at multiple spots. And Elton Jenkins is the ultimate example of that because he could be a pro bowler, if not all pro, I think at all five positions on the offensive line. But you're probably going to need to look at some guys who can say, hey, you've got to play in a different spot. You've got to be able to do different things. And I think at this juncture, as tough as it is to not have Bakhtiari and at the start of the year in all likelihood to not have Elgin Jenkins in those roles because of their injuries, trust the coaching, trust the guys who are still there. I think it'll be okay. It's just kind of soul crushing. Maybe that's a little over the top, but it really does hurt to know the best talent is not going to be out there, at least at the very start. And that's now going to be an entire season of that and now the start of another, which is just kind of tough to stomach as a fan. Absolutely. And I think you hit on a ton of great points. The couple I want to pull from is one, you know, I think it's really easy as a fan um, and a non-medical professional uh, to fall into the realm of like, Hey, what, like what, what data are we basing this off? Is I can't base it off of an injury that I've had, or maybe my, my best friend has had, or someone that I played rec league basketball with. I can't base that off of, I'm basing it off another professional athlete. And that being, Adrian Peterson, that being Cortland Sutton, that being any ACL injury that we see constantly throughout um, the NFL. I don't think it's irrational truly to look at that and be like, that's at minimum a 12 month injury. And I know medicine's progressed over the last couple of decades, but like, I think that's a good threshold to be at. If you beat it, get to that 10 and a half, 11 month mark. Great. If you get 13, 14 months, so be it. But we're going on almost, I mean, it's going to be over under two years by the time he plays on a field again like I mean it's probably going to be the under let's be honest because it have to be the end of the year this year that would be absolutely asinine but like I don't think it's I don't think it's illogical to think that like hey let's base it off of some other injuries within the same sport now I would say father time is not on David Bakhtiari's side as maybe as it once was Adrian Peterson specifically Cortland Sutton for sure so it's one of those situations where you just you struggle but I'm actually really thankful you brought up the NFL draft or at least the draft because I've we hit on that a ton on pack a day podcast and now we've transitioned to kind of training camp. And I've actually, I was hoping so, so much in our first episode on the live stream, Brendan, that you weren't going to say, Hey, remember those two offensive linemen they got, what are your thoughts on a Matt? And I was like, I honestly spaced their names. Couldn't remember their names. So glad you took the lead on that, but you're right. I mean, it's another great thing that Steno has and good for Steno to be able to have the opportunity to stick with these guys that he's I'm sure plucked, right? He wants these guys, let him finally have his best five out there. If that actually ever happens, because we haven't seen it yet, but I mean, it's a great, they're in a great position. They have a lot of uh, equity there and I, I applaud the way they've built that offensive line. Before we get to some notes on the shareholders meeting today, I want to get to a comment from our guy, Iowa Joe on the YouTube. You know, you wonder how much of this is mental versus physical and that's not to in any way to slight Bach whatsoever, but there is something to be said for being confident in your body to go back out there. And maybe he feels great and it truly is a, a physical thing. So I'm not sure, but it is something at least to wonder. I mean, do you feel confident planting on that leg? Do you feel confident bursting off that leg, just setting whatever it might be? I think it's an interesting point. And I think that more often than not, actually, that I can think of comes up in basketball. You know, I think about when mm -hmm. Derrick Rose got hurt and so much of the problem with him coming back, because if 
you're a Bulls fan or you follow the NBA back at the time when Derrick Rose was getting injured all the time, you remember there was this constant will he, won't he, whatever, because he just he wasn't confident. He didn't know that he could run, that he could jump, he could do all that. I don't know what David Bakhtiari's mindset is in that regard, but it is something at least worth bringing up. So I appreciate that point uh, from the YouTube. Make sure if you're not watching on the YouTube, go head over Game on Wisconsin. If you're watching on the Facebook, you obviously know Game on Wisconsin there as well. And of course, you can follow along on Twitter as well at Game on WI. Matt, we'll talk about more offensive line, obviously, throughout training camp. And hopefully at some point that does include that David Bakhtiari is going to get on the field and be practicing with the ones Hell, I'd take him practicing with the twos at this point. But there is a lot else going on in the Packers sphere right now. In fact, today on Monday, shareholders meeting at Lambeau Field. Uh, did you get to make an appearance at Lambeau Field? I appreciate you reaching out um, and asking that question. No, I had other business to attend to. Uh, there's, you know, sometimes you, you, when you have a great system like the Green Bay Packers, a great organization, you put people in positions where they need to be in, right? Today, I wasn't necessarily needed to be in that position out in the stands. Um, I supported the team through other means over the weekend by going to the, that soccer game. So, and, uh, you know, I would say, economically stimulating the uh the beer gentlemen or the beer carts so that that was enough on my end so today left it to the uh, the professionals in that realm and kind of stuck to the the day-to-day operation stuff so but it was a good day it's from from the sounds of it was some really good clips from there and uh looks like mark murphy might be letting loose a little bit here in the uh early stages of retirement yeah he's getting closer and closer i know that news story came out i, I know a lot of Packers supporters, fans, people who know the organization knew that day was coming, but I think it took a lot of people by surprise a, a few weeks ago. And whoa, Mark Murphy's going to retire here soon. Well, yeah, that that's kind of a team rule. So yeah, I did notice he was loosening up a little bit and we'll get to one of his quotes in particular here coming up in just a moment. But I think the, the biggest news of the day wasn't really divulged during the shareholders meeting at Lambeau. It was actually some reporting later in the day. I know Tom Silverstein got to this. Some of the other guys in the Packers beat got to this as well. But Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, and Russ Ball, they're all getting new contracts. They signed extensions this year. And I don't really know why Mark Murphy was so noncommittal about answering that question during the shareholders meeting. Mm -hmm. I I know Silverstein was saying that that was a bad look. I don't know if I'd personally go that far, but it definitely was at least a little bit strange. But the reporting throughout the day indicated those three guys are all going to be back. They're all going to be there long term. I mean, I don't know how you can possibly complain about that. I mean, I think the one thing you could say about LaFleur is, well, you had three 13-win teams in a row and you didn't win a Super Bowl. Okay, well, the counter to that is you are a first-time head coach and you just went three seasons in a row with 13 wins. You rejuvenated one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I don't know how you could be upset about that. Russ Mm -hmm. Ball, I think, has done a tremendous job. rub some people the wrong way, but I think he has done generally a tremendous job. And you also throw in Goot, and aside from the Aaron Rodgers saga, you've had a pretty damn good time building this roster and drafting and just finding win after win. I think Goot has been a tremendous GM. You, you know, call me a Packers bootlicker or whatever. I think he's done a fantastic job. So to me, the fact that you're bringing back the three guys, coach, two dudes in the front office who have built this team and put them in this position. I don't know how you couldn't consider this a massive win. Oh, it's awesome. I, it's strange though. I, yeah, I wouldn't go that far to slander Mark, Mark Murphy about it because we know how the Packers and there's some other organizations that handle contracts internally or financials. And maybe it's officially not, you know, the ink's not dried yet. Maybe that's one of those situations where they're still negotiating a little bit. Maybe there's some other things that had to come into play. Who knows? But Regardless, we did find 
I guess, a report um, that they are extended. So why would you not? I mean, you look back, I, I, I mean, it wasn't very, didn't have to read really between the lines, but when they brought in Gutekunst and Lafleur, it was very easy to see like these guys are going to be tied together, right? Like this is going to be their future. It's a, you know, at the time I said a five-year plan, obviously that's changed now based off of uh, a combination of things, mostly with the quarterback position. And so you're at the point now where it's like, well, hell, they haven't screwed much up. I mean, there've been a couple selections here, maybe that weren't too favorable. Um, but really when you think about it in retrospect from the previous regime, like, a lot better in my opinion they they navigated through free agency a lot better they addressed things internally a little bit better they didn't they really didn't bring too many um i mean there's been a couple guys that they brought in that were been maybe running a gamble on but it was their calculated risks you're not drafting former basketball players to play you know in the secondary as a starter like that stuff like that they were just i mean it's it's easy to look back and think how crazy it was but i i love that lafleur and gutekunst are back i think it's awesome and it, it's really just sets this team up for the future and you kind of know what you're getting. And they did a lot of promotions on, and maybe that's something to do with it on this past Friday, right? There was a lot of internal promotions that way. So maybe that's part of it too. There's still the hierarchy's not figured out. They haven't announced it fully in some sort of town hall meeting. Who knows? But at the end of the day, all positives coming from today, from at least uh, the shareholders meeting, which there shouldn't be any negatives unless we had the same weather like we did on Saturday night for the soccer game or I mean, we were in absolute turmoil when it came to, I guess, the organization, but everything is absolutely in cruise control, 75 miles an hour in the left lane right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not generally, I guess, breaking news when you get coach extension. Sometimes it can be. If there is some sort of drama around an organization, around a coach, maybe you talk about it a little more. I think Arizona is a good example of that. People, I, I see this on NFL Twitter all the time. People are still shaking their head. Why did Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime in Arizona get extensions in green Bay. Well, considering how much you've won, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise, but Hey, when you're the publicly traded team and you have these shareholder meetings, it does become uh, a big deal. So I, it's great news. I'm glad that that, you know, we talk about the core on the field, but the core in terms of management, in terms of coaching is staying together. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a big deal as well. Before we get to more from the shareholders meeting, Matt, what an awesome opportunity for us on our first live edition of the final dump to uh, break a little news today. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's we're just being blessed by the football gods. That's all I got to say. We are. And it is a, I think it's fair to say a camp body edition, but Hey, we are in the training camp portion of the year. We are excited about camp bodies and guys, well, maybe they can make the roster, but uh, this is from Aaron Wilson uh, on Twitter, who covers the NFL right now for the pro football network. He has been at other places, including, I believe the Houston Chronicle. Uh, the Packers are signing wide receiver Osiris Mitchell who played his college football at Mississippi State. He was briefly uh, with the practice squad for the Cowboys last year. Most recently played for the USFL champion Birmingham Stallion. Shout out to the USFL in a successful first season. Uh, is the camp body. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect Osiris Mitchell is going to be in the running for a spot on the roster. I mean, he, he does have at least a little brief NFL experience. But I do think this is an interesting anecdote in a larger topic. We saw last week uh, in reports on Twitter that the Packers brought in John Brown for a mm -hmm. tryout, former Buffalo Bill, Arizona Cardinal. I believe he had another stop in there as well. He's a D2 product. Shout out to Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas. I think it's interesting that 
I've been under the assumption this team is pretty much done with wide receivers. And again, you, you throw in Osiris Mitchell, best of luck, he'll get some paychecks for training camp. Don't expect him to be a part of this. But as much as I thought the Packers were going to stick with the wide receivers they had, they clearly are still at least looking maybe for a diamond in the rough somewhere, which I don't know about you, Matt, but I really wasn't expecting. I thought they would just stick with what they've got. Yeah, I, I've i come to really realize with Gutekunst, you kind of got to just like, you truly, you, you have to be on pins and needles because there's not really a wave at maybe in the old regime or even just, I mean, it's, there's no, it's a little bit unpredictable. You're not sure when he's going to go grab a guy. I think it is interesting though. You think the John Brown that kind of got swept under the rug, obviously he didn't get signed or I'm sure he's already out of town and was back home. Um, but different body types, you know, John Brown, 5'10", 5'11", don't quote me on that, speedster, Osiris Mitchell, about a 4'5", so nothing crazy, but a 6'5", dude who can probably jump and get up a jump ball. Now, both of those things, one being the speed for John Brown and one being the size for Osiris Mitchell combined is generally what the, the pedigree has been for Packers to draft receivers under the Gutekunst era. And neither of those guys have that skill. I would say if I had to pick one, I would say more than likely <clears throat> Osiris Mitchell fits that mold a little bit more just because he's a bigger body and they tend to prioritize those guys, especially in the RPOs, especially in the you know, run first offense. They're going to be 100% rolling out in 2022. But, you know, to me, I, I kind of thought the same way last year, Brendan, but coming into this year, I was like, you know what? I think they're going to acquire guys no matter what. I, I realized they did get Sammy Watkins. They got Amari Rodgers coming back to draft all these rookie receivers who I love. And I love the concept going back from the, the draft with MVS, Jamon Moore, and Equinemia St. Brown. Same type of idea. Grab a bunch of bodies, bring them in, see that cream crime climb to the top, and then you call it a day with whoever can fill in the role. But I think you always got to be prepared. Like They're always going to fill up this roster the best they can. There was another acquisition today that we'll get to as well. But <clears throat> truthfully... He's trying to put the best 90 90 man roster he can put together. Then we're going to boil that down to the 53. Oh, and don't forget, we're going to stash a couple guys in the practice squad and give them some looks once in a while when we need them. So Goody's always working hard, and I I really, really respect it of him. I think he's got really good connections within the league. Clearly, if they're trying to poach some dudes from the USFL, um, and I love the fact that even a guy's getting a shot, whether he was on the championship team, the Birmingham Panthers or Stallions, like you mentioned, unless even if he was on some shittier team, just the fact that he's able to get a look after the season, I think is exactly what the NFL needs since they don't actually have a real true sanctioned G League, um, you know, minor league system, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great to have that extra developmental league, so to speak, that, hey, we <clears throat> We've got college. College is doing its own thing. Obviously, we go get those guys through the draft, undrafted free agency, whatever. But, hey, these guys are adults. They are professional to at least have one other, maybe albeit somewhat small pool, but to have someone else to pluck guys from. And, again, you know, Mitchell is a camp body, but I do find it interesting that as much as I was under the assumption that they were just going to stick with the wide receivers they have because they do have too many for the roster spots they're going to use on wide receivers mm-hmm. this year, uh, it is interesting that you know a guy like John Brown or maybe bring in more camp bodies who are inevitably going to get cut at the position. Uh, I do find that to be at least a little bit interesting. Some breaking news. Let's get back to the shareholders meeting, though, because there were a couple other things. Obviously, the big news was the contract extensions for Goot, for Ball, for LaFleur. Uh, I also wanted to get to this, though, because you mentioned it, Matt, that Mark Murphy's starting to maybe loosen up a little bit as he gets a little bit closer to retirement, gets a little bit older. Uh, wanted to get to this quote. Uh, he was talking about Sunday noon kickoffs. And, you know, when you are a good team, 
You don't play those games very often because Fox wants to put you at America's Game of the Week. Or if the Packers are on CBS, you know that is going to be a big game unless they're playing, you know, when they play the Jets this year at Lambeau, that might be a noon kickoff. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, they want to put the good teams in big games. Put them on Monday night. Put them on Sunday night. You get the Thursday night game once a year. Here was Mark Murphy's quote about why the Packers don't play at noon, as transcribed by Matt Schneidman from mm-hmm. The Athletic, says that he knows fans want more noon games. Packers only have one at home this season. And the quote reads, and this is truly one of my favorite things Mark Murphy has ever said, quote, here's the reality. If we have a lot of noon home games, we're a shitty team. Yeah, that pretty much describes it perfectly. I mean, you want to have those primetime games. So I thought that was an interesting note from the day, too, that you're right. He is, he is loosening up a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're someone who wants to go see more noon games at home, and now that I think about it, I believe it is that Jets game that is the, is. the one noon game this year. I know because mm-hmm. I was looking at tickets to get from Kansas up to Green Bay to see the game. It's a good team. Like, team wins all the time. I mean, that's kind of – the entire story of, okay, well, why do the Packers do this? Why do the Packers do this? Why is this happening? Okay, well, why are they in a salary cap position that they're in? Well, because they draft a bunch of really good players and they have their own really good players who they have to pay to keep because they've done such a good job of drafting. Why do we not get any noon home games? Well, because the team, after drafting all those really good players, they're now really good and they win all the time and they're one of the most popular teams in all of American professional sports. So they get put in prime time, they get put in the afternoon slot. But uh, I like that Mark Murphy let loose a little bit because uh, I think really until fairly recently, because he also had that quip in one of his uh, mailbags over at Packers.com. There was somebody who had a comment about social justice. Let's put it that way. And, and Murphy truly clapped back in the comment. I don't know if that was his own words or someone else's, but uh, I kind of like the new Mark Murphy. I kind of like getting a little bit older, maybe a little bit uh, less inhibited, so to speak. Absolutely. I think it's it's funny. I mean, Mark is – I have this tough perspective on him because I know he's done so much for the Titletown District and so much for this organization. There's just sometimes I wish he would take a little bit firmer stance on stuff or shit, in his words. Um, it would just be not, but it's funny. Like, I don't know if there's, I don't know if he's going to get any more, you know, jagged as he goes out the door. I think that's about the much you're going to get out of him. The guy's never really been one to slander other organizations or slander teams. I mean, maybe that you could, that be inter- that could be interpreted as a dig. Obviously Packers Twitter thought it was a great time to use that and troll the Chicago bears fans with a ton of noon games, which absolutely appropriate. But at the end of the day, he's, he's freaking right. Like, of course, like if you have noon games, you're doing something absolutely wrong. And every year, not every year, the last couple of years when the schedules came out, you know, I don't mind noon games. I prefer a three o'clock game, but however, like it's, you know, those, those Thursday night, those Monday night, those Sunday or not Thursday night, those Sunday night and those Monday night games, those are a little bit tougher on the, uh, I guess the, the adult life, uh, but ultimately you still got to support the squad. But when you see all those those primetime games, it's it's respect. It's the tip of the hat. The the, the NFL is in contract negotiations right now with um, Apple and Amazon and any other entity that wants to stream their stuff. And they obviously just had a new one that came out today internally. I digress, but you know it's it's super important for them to get the best product on the field, best product on the television. However, you digest content in this day and age. Um, and hats off to them for having one home noon game like that's i i doubt there's many other teams in this league that even have two let alone one but i could be absolutely wrong wrong if i am please comment in the comment section let me know how wrong i am it's 
a very impressive feat to be one of a the most popular and b most successful franchises in an organization that when it does business deals the dollar amounts include b's not m's when you're talking about three maybe two two or three billion dollars for sunday ticket when you talk about total revenue in the b's when you talk about that kind of money overall being paid to players every year it's pretty good to be one of the teams that is considered among the class of the organization so i I think as much as i'm sure some locals would love to have more noon games maybe you know wake and bake a little bit maybe have some of those morning sunday beers uh, I think you should probably get used to, as long as Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur are around, I think you should probably keep getting used to those 325 kicks in those primetime games as well. One other thing I wanted to get to, Matt, specifically mm-hmm. from the shareholders meeting, and this is going to take us into a different discussion as well. If you had told me before this meeting on Monday that one of the loudest cheers of the day would be for the discussion about Rich Bisaccia, the new special teams coordinator, and hiring him because you knew you had issues and you wanted to fix it, I would have told you, uh, yes, that is not even remotely a surprise. I think even the least tuned-in Packers fan you know who just kind of casually pays attention to the team would say, yeah, that special teams last year was absolute basura and you had to do something to fix it as soon as possible, okay, we'll go out and get one of the most respected coaches in special teams coaching in football, and that's Rich Bisaccia. And I saw that from a few different beat writers that there was one of the loudest cheers, a damn near standing mm-hmm. ovation when Bisaccia was brought up. Not really a surprise, and I think we have seen examples, maybe just a couple sprinkled in here and there over the offseason, that the effort to change the culture of the special teams, and maybe that sounds like overkill, but when you consider how freaking bad that unit has been really for years, but especially last year and how directly it played a role in getting knocked out of the playoffs in frankly embarrassing fashion, it does need a culture change. It needs a complete overhaul in that regard. And yeah, Rich Passaccia should be cheered. And the fact that the Packers went out and said, we have something that is wrong. We need to fix it. So we went out and got the best guy possible. That is something that deserves applause from however many thousands of shareholders actually were in attendance today. Absolutely, man. It's it's not often that it was like a video game transaction to me. Like truly, you're like, this is the best thing, human entity we can get to replace our big one of our biggest weaknesses. And they went and snatched him. And whether or not it's a flash in the pan, the way he was interim coach in Las Vegas, we'll never know. But I think if you're trying to get a culture shift, I think Rich Passage is the guy to do it because you saw the absolute dumpster fire, and and I mean that with all. Um, sincerity and empathy for the situation that got, went on for the Raiders. Like he inherited a dumpster fire and it was, he, he handled it with class. He got the team to buy in and he had a lot of different personalities on that team um, that he was able to just like keep trudging on. And I think Rich Passaccia is a guy that you need um, for any organization, whether he's a special teams coach, whether he's a janitor, whether he's a cafeteria person, whether he's, you know, the Mark Murphy, like you need a dude to, hold it down for you whether man or woman to just you need people in your organization to be great and he i think he has a potential to be a great special teamer team coach and it the very least turn the packers special teams unit into a good specials team unit um and i do appreciate the applaud and somewhat tongue-in-cheek sarcastic that the uh share my fellow my fellow co-owners gave um, them today 
Yes, as an owner of the Green Bay Packers, I'm very right. proud of our co-owners for doing that. I know there are so many people who, who are going to listen to this in podcast form or are going to watch this video at some point and say, oh, I'm a shareholder too. What makes you so special? That has become one of my favorite bits. Uh, oh. For those who maybe are just meeting Matt and I for the first time, I do daily sports talk radio in Topeka, Kansas, 580 AM, 580 sports talk. If you want to check it out anyway. Uh, that's one of my favorite bits. You know, we cover the chiefs, my, my work life, my day-to-day life. I cover the Kansas city chiefs. And one of my favorite things, anytime Aaron Rodgers has come up for whatever reason, or, or anytime the Packers have come up when we're just talking NFL is to make sure I slip that in and it bothers the hell out of my co-hosts, but it has become, I think my favorite bit. So I'm going to carry that over here to the final dump, I think, because we're both shareholders. I mean, we're both owners. We're, we're in an elite club here. I think we should probably uh, flaunt that as much as we possibly I, can. I appreciate that. And I try to get that in much as I can in my personal life. It's just, it's fantastic. People look at you like, either like, I know what he's talking about. Or they're like, you own the Packers that they have no idea that they're like, it's just, it, it gets, it gets a pop out of the, the, you know, the, the community around you. It's, it's good. So continue to use that down in the airwaves in Kansas city. That's uh, that's, that's absolutely what you need to be doing. It's the football version of a Mick Foley cheap pop that that's essentially what it is. Cause it guarantee you, it pops me every single time. But speaking of rich Bisaccia, I wanted to get to a roster building question. Cause that's what so much of training camp debate and discussion is, is what is the 53 going to look like? How do you want to build this roster? And when you consider how terrible the special teams was a year ago for Green Bay, you would think, okay, there's got to be some sort of change personnel wise in some regard for the special teams. Do you put more starters out there? And we heard a little bit of that during OTAs this year that, Hey, more starters, we're getting some special teams reps. Do you bring in special teams specialists? Do you make a change at your quote unquote specialist position, your, your kicker, your long snapper, your punter, whatever it might be. And and there are potentially multiple changes at those spots coming up this year for the Packers on Monday, the team signs Dallin Levitt, who is a reserve defensive back, somewhat nondescript, actually on the defensive side of the ball, middling pro football focus grades this past year. But he was a special teams guy, and he played for the Las Vegas Raiders. He was a Rich Basaccia guy. He was the special teams coach before he took over the head coach of what you accurately described, Matt, as that dumpster fire Raiders team last year. And eventually led them to the playoffs, which probably should have won him coach of the year, honestly. That's how well he did with that Raiders team in such a bad situation. But Dallin Levitt is a special teams guy. You bring him in to be a special teamer. And I don't know if this is a move that is going to actually change the final 53, but I will tell you this much, adding Dallin Levitt, who was a special teams specialist a year ago for the Raiders, I think is much more likely to impact the final roster than, say, adding wide receiver Osiris Mitchell, formerly of the Birmingham Stallions. That feels like a camp body. Levitt feels a little bit to me, and I don't want to oversell it, but it feels a little bit more to me like I'm the special teams coordinator. I know what it takes to actually have competent special teams. I want my guys, and I want them on this roster. That's sort of what this move felt like to me. I think you're right, man. I mean, it's tough to disagree with that, especially when you compare and contrast to Osiris Mitchell um, transaction that happens within hours of each other. I think Osiris Mitchell is definitely a camp body. It would be absolutely incredible if he were to to make the team. I kind of correlate it in my head as we've gone through this, like to a Reggie Bagleton, like a lot of potential comes from a different, you know, cut from a different cloth out of a different league, but, you know, has some potential, but ultimately probably never going to see as much um, snaps as you would, you would predict or even like where Dallin Levitt, I mean, it's really, really easy to connect the dots. I think it makes so much sense that a, they would go out and get a guy that has some, you know, special teams 
savviness. He led the led the team last year in tackles, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on special teams. He's also a Rick Bisaccia guy. Duh. I mean, he's played on his special teams unit for a few years. The guy can make some plays. I think why why would you not? You need a tone setter, right? This guy's I mean, he's you look at him, you know, statistically or I guess the box score or even the the bio, right? 5'10", 195, fourth year player out of Utah State, you know, like I said 12 set, 12 tackles last year. Not much really gets you know gets you excited. It's everything that's outside of the the player profile or the the pro football focus analytics or the metrics, whatever you want to talk about. It's the relationship he has with Rich Passaccia and what's the relationship Rich Passaccia has with uh, Mr. Levitt here. So I think at the end of the day, even if he comes in and gives a little juice in the arm for the boys during training camp and he's gone, at least they know maybe how the position's supposed to be played. And maybe they have the guys in the roster talented more talented than him, but he might have the passion and the effort that comes into playing special teams because we all know that's what special teams is about. It's about effort. It's about executing your small job, whether it seems arbitrary that you stay in the straight line or not. Um, it's similar to rebounding in basketball. It's anyone can do it. It just takes effort. And I think Dallin Levitt might be a guy that they need to be. Maybe they got one out of the 11. Maybe they got that figured out. I mean, Mason Crosby can throw him in there too, but okay. At the end of the day on the coverage side, they got one out of the 11 probably solidified maybe for week one, if not through the preseason. And the other thing, too, realistically, I don't think Rich Bisaccia would have taken a job this offseason without some kind of assurance that he would have some roster say, right? right? I mean, he mm-hmm. was such a hot commodity when the Raiders elected not to keep him on as their head coach and went with Josh McDaniels instead. And I'm fascinated to see how that's going to turn out with his second yeah. stint coaching in the AFC West. But, you know, he was such a sought after commodity, Bisaccia was. And I know multiple teams were interested in him beyond Green Bay. Now, Green Bay, obviously had the biggest need given how terrible the special teams were. And I mean, it's an easy sell relatively. I would think if you're Matt LaFleur, if you're the front officers, you know, paying the bills and you say, Rich, we are a team that is so close to being in the Super Bowl. I mean, just two years apart, you know, David Bakhtiari plays in 2020. We might've gone to the Super Bowl this past Mm -hmm. year, aside from one bad game from the quarterback and a terrible game from special teams, we might have made a run to the Super Bowl. We could have been in that spot. The Rams were in come in, be a part of this and we'll let you pick a couple of guys who will be on the 53 as your guys or they'll be practice squad guys will elevate a couple of times those will be your special teams guys I would imagine and I don't know for sure this isn't a report it's just an assumption and a feeling I would think that was negotiated in I would think that is something that Basachi would have held out for and it's not like that's unprecedented again you know covering the Chiefs day-to-day for my day job Dave Tobe, who's been one of the most highly regarded special teams coaches in the NFL for two decades, if not more at this point, he gets a say on a couple of guys. Andy Reid always claims, no, 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 Dave gets input, but we don't pick guys just for special teams. It is blatantly obvious the Chiefs keep guys every year who are just there for special teams. If you ever hear the name Darice Fountain, just know he ain't there to catch passes from Patrick Mahomes, despite (laughs) being a wide receiver, okay? He is a Dave Tobe special teams guy. So I would assume Bisaccia, given his reputation, given how sought after he was, that would be part of the roster, that would be part of the negotiations. He gets some roster say, and Again, I I really don't think I can argue against that. Like, hey, we will do anything to get this fixed. And if that takes signing Dallin Levitt and Joe Schmo from wherever else, then yes, let's do it. Figure out a way to fix this. We'll make it work. Absolutely. I think you... It's negotiations, right? So maybe the Packers don't do it, but there's 31 other teams that might end up doing it. Hey, we're going to let you draft a guy, 
like a Samari Toure, which they ended up letting him get. We're going to let you go get in your new punter since Bahorquez wasn't it, and we're definitely not bringing J.K. Scott. Uh, you go get your boy, Pat O'Donnell, right? Like you get, you should be able, you should have Great that point. negotiation, that leverage, right? Like why would they not give him that? Because I'm sure other teams do. So to meet that same bar, you're going to have to kind of meet somewhere in the middle, even if it's not how you normally would negotiate. So um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense and I'm, I'm all here for it. And right now you have a roster that you're trying to build out, get some camp bodies in, figure out guys that can play special teams, guys with heart, guys are going to be able to fill roles for starting positions, as we started the episode, David Bakhtiari, not sure. So you got to see how everything trickles out through the next couple months. I mean, that's really what this offseason and this, this summer is. And people are going to get up in arms because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be some transactions. My boy Paul Bretter already tweeting out tonight, and I just retweeted it, that you know they signed two guys today. They cut one um, you know, or put one on the pup list. Like they're going to have to – someone else is going to have to get cut. They're currently at 91 players somehow. So there's it's going to happen. Who that is going to be? I can tell you one thing. By the time this episode is live on the podcasts, uh, it'll probably be a player that's already moved and people will get pissed off again and we'll just miss the boat on it just slightly for breaking news. So at the end of the day, like it's just it's just the business. That's what it is. And that's kind of the fun thing about training camp too, right? I mean, we were talking about Osiris Mitchell earlier who got signed on Monday night. Like that, it's a camp body probably, but you debate, okay, well, which camp body is going to be the last one who makes it on, who's going to be that 53rd man, who ends up getting on the practice squad, whatever it ends up being. I mean, that's kind of the the beauty and the fun of training camp, right? I think it goes more mm-hmm. than just, ah, well, you know, this guy's a bum, whatever. Well, sometimes you need those bums because someone gets hurt or you end up in a situ- situation where, oh, I don't know, maybe your all-pro, all-world left tackle can't play because he's on the pup list because he's recovering really slowly <laughs> and keeps having setbacks from his torn ACL. Oh, and by the way, your next best offensive lineman is also on the pup list because he also tore his ACL. So you need guys like that who can come in and fill in. And, you know, who knows? Randall Cobb gets hurt, you know, just as an example. God forbid that actually happens, but you've got to have guys who are ready, who can come in, who can step in, who can make plays. So I think that's the beauty of training camp in it. I mean, it's the football sickos time of year, right? Like that in the draft where, you know, the normal football watcher is maybe not paying as much attention. You say, oh, I, I got to see what happens with Osiris Mitchell now. I got to see what happens with, you know, draft pick Sean Ryan and where he ends right. up. That's kind of, again, the beauty of training camp. And at least for me, that's the fun part of it. And maybe Dallin Levitt gets cut. Maybe he ends up making the roster and he's, you know, your gunner or he's one of your key coverage guys. Who knows? But I, I would think Rich Bisacci got in someone's ear and said, I want that guy. We need to have him on this unit. And I would think to a certain degree, Gutekunst and Mofloor say, okay, yeah, we we will happily live with that. That's pretty much it from the shareholders meeting in terms of the big news from Monday. And that brings us to our new final segment. It is called Significant to some shout out to Chris Fowler for that one. It's pretty simple during the course of the season, because we'll be on Monday nights. Most of the time that will directly follow the Packers game. We'll look ahead to the next week. We'll take a look at the spread, maybe take a look at the total, see what the upcoming week is going to look like on the betting gambling front. But right now, Matt, we don't have games to look at. We, we don't even have preseason games at this point. And by the way, please, this is a personal plea. Do not bet on preseason football games. <laughs> so while we don't have games right now, we have to look at something else that might be significant to some, possibly to you, possibly to me, possibly to you listening as well. So today, jumping right into the thick of things, the team totals for this year, the over-under win-loss total for the Green Bay Packers this year and where they rank relative to some other teams in the league. The number I'm seeing, courtesy of Vegas Insider, 11 and a half 
for the Packers. They won 13 games, only lost four a season ago. They've won 39 games, 13 each over the last three seasons. 11 wins, if you went with the under, would be a fairly stark departure. I'm kind of leaning the over, though, and I think a big reason why. Look at who is in this division. It might be the worst team in the NFL in the Chicago Bears. A Lions team I'm not nearly as high on as a lot of other people around the NFL. And a Vikings team that yeah, might get the Packers at some point. But do they really scare you? Like, does Kirk Cousins at this stage of time really scare you all that much? So 11 and a half, I think, is a pretty good number. And, and maybe it's Homer of me. But, Matt, at first blush, I, I kind of lean toward 12 is more likely than 11 here. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, and understand we're playing an extra game too. So this isn't a 16 game schedule. It's like you're getting another game. Like I I've done the math and I've looked at it and I'm like, Charlie from Always Sunny, I got the 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 bulletin board. I'm doing all this, dude. I just can't figure out why it doesn't work. Like I just can't see how they wouldn't win it. And like I'm not gonna bore everyone with the predictions going through this, but like first half of the season might drop one to the Vikings. I think you split with the Vikings for years and years and years. That's just how it's kind of set up. Possibly drop to the Bucks. Possibly drop to the Bills. You go to the other side. Cowboys, meh. Titans, meh. Eagles, up-and-coming team. Rams, no idea what the Dolphins are going to look like in, you know, frankly, by the time it gets to December, who knows? Very fragile team, generally. I just don't see how it's it's wrong. I just 100% think 11 and a half is too low. I think at minimum, I've done it even. I've tried to even really, really be um, biased against the Packers. And I think the best I've gotten was like 11 or 12. And that was really even just like really giving some teams some clout that shouldn't deserve it. Um, so I know I, I can tell that our, our comment section at least is, is blowing up and talking about the math and all that's important. But I'm smashing the over. I mean, I have a buddy, like I said, that's got 100 bucks on the, the under. I think he might just be lying to all of his Packer friend buddies. Um, and he might actually have the over instead of the under. But ultimately, it's I don't think there's any way they go under 12 games, essentially, or 11 games, whatever way you want to slice it. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, no one needs everyone can look at the schedule on their own and go, well, this game, I predict 24 13. I mean, that that's not really what we are here for. But if you're just looking at this from top to bottom, I mean, you look at some of these opponents. Again, this division is not going to be very good this year. I no. genuinely believe the Chicago Bears are going to be the worst team in the NFL this year. That, they are I, going to I be. I will say, besides the Chicago Bears, Seattle Seahawks also roster is absolutely atrocious. But Bears and them are definitely in the bottom three, bottom five. At at like you're totally correct. I think there's a very strong argument the three worst teams in the NFL will all be NFC teams because the Falcons also are going to be terrible this year. I I love Marcus Mariota. I will always love Marcus Mariota. There is a reason he has not been starting in the NFL for several years now. There's a reason he got replaced for Ryan Tannehill and why the Falcons, who are blatantly tanking, brought him in as their quarterback. Mm -hmm. So as, as much as I love the former Heisman winner, I think it's pretty obvious where Atlanta's trajectory is going right now. The Bears are going to stick. One way or the other, they're going to be terrible this year. Again, I, the Lions, will they be better maybe? Okay, fine. I'm not I'm not all the way in on Motor City Dan Campbell, MCDC yet. And again, the Vikings, okay, you split with the Vikings. So what, most likely scenario is 5-1 and one in the division? That's a pretty good starting point yeah. for this year. You, you know, you're playing the Jets. I think the Jets will be better this year. Are they going to be better than the Packers? No, I doubt it. I think they'll struggle in that vaunted noon kickoff game at Lambeau Field. I think you can go to Miami on Christmas Day and win. And, you know, you're going to play some good teams this year. You're going to play the Buccaneers. You're going to play the Rams. You're going to play uh, against the Bills, which is going to be a marquee game 
for the season. Well, if the Packers are really any good, they should be able to win at least a couple of those games. I mean, if this is a team that's going to be a front-running team, essentially, they beat up on all the crappy teams in their division and on the Dolphins and Jets, but then, hey, Bills smoke them. Bucks smoke them. They lose division games. They shouldn't lose, you know, whatever it ends up being. Okay, well, then we've got some other issues here. But just looking at the schedule, 11 and a half, I I think that's a good number. I think Vegas really set a good number there Mm -hmm. because, you know, just in terms of probability, the odds of winning 12 plus games four years in a row, even with that 17th game, probably fairly low. I haven't checked in with my stats guy recently. I don't know exactly what the probability of that is. But truth be told, the, the way it lines up, even if the math might say, yeah, lean 11, I, I think I'll I'll take the homer spot here. Shocking that I would pick the homer spot, uh, but I think I would lean over here. Yeah, I think it's – you have to. And I, you, you do bring up a good point because 13 wins three seasons in a row, that's pretty significant, right? Like you would think there'd be some regression at that point. You could absolutely – I don't want to end this show negatively, but you could definitely say some of the top talent is falling off, whether they're gone to a different team, injury, the case, however the case, but really the culmination of this entire episode is just how the Packers are a well-run organization and they have a lot of players on this team that can contribute in multiple ways and they're 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 willing to go get those guys that can contribute, but at the end of the day, you never know you never you never know what can happen when you could be in, in between the lines. Like you said, I think five and one's very, very reasonable, uh four and two even within the division, but at the end of the day man oh man like you're you're basically getting four free wins and then you have to just go win eight more games you almost have to split the rest of the way through i think that's pretty achievable matt we got through number one how you feeling i feel great i feel fantastic i think first time using a ring light probably should have been doing it years and years and years ago um second can't wait to get the setup in the new crib that's gonna be fire Definitely going to get some more Packers memorabilia on. Might wear that helmet next episode just to christen the new show or the yes. new setup. But ultimately, I knew that just it's season two. It was, season one was fantastic on the pod. So we need to get on the video side. We need to interact with the people um, in, in the comments. We got we got I mean, even we got the we got the brass coming in here. You see Todd Varney. We got Jacob Westendorf come here and support a little bit. Just the you know the upper echelon humans of game on Wisconsin. So it's it'll be great. And we actually got super blessed this week or this weekend and today just on the timeline all sorts of stuff going on and just truly easy for us to talk about it was a you know shout out to Jacob Westendorf for always having a kickoff out of the dead zone the first week of training camp yeah we got blessed by the if not the football gods the Packers gods breaking news we had the shareholders meeting so much we are so excited to bring you a second season and the first live season of the final dump thank you so much for joining us on this Monday evening and for listening to the podcast as well make sure you're following along with game on Wisconsin across your social media platforms on Twitter at game on WI subscribe to game on Wisconsin on YouTube like on Facebook as well you can find Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore F R-A underscore, and you can find Brendan, myself as well, at Brendan D-Z-W. Number one in the books. We can't wait for number two. Get deeper into training camp, roster building, new storylines coming up next week. We will join you next Monday, the first day of the month of August, coming up for week two of the Final Dump. But until then, for Matt Fralick, I'm Brendan Dwarzynski. We'll talk to you next time on the Final Dump, brought to you by Game on Wisconsin.